Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. And we'll be reading from verse uh, 25 and onward. And this morning, I want to preach a uh, sermon on overcoming worry. Overcoming worry. And I believe this is a topic that um, it plagues Christianity and it hinders us and it hinders our service um, for God. And I want to look at God's word, what it says about worry. Matthew chapter 6 and starting at verse 25. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow was cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And let's pray this morning as we begin. Our dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the power um, that you give us, Lord, to to pass through this weary, weary land, Lord. And as we look forward to that day of meeting you, Lord, but now as we focus on trying to live a life that's pleasing and honor to you, Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us, Lord, overcome uh, such a common thing that plagues this Christian life, Lord. And I pray that you'd strengthen us, Lord, and encourage us in your word. And we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Overcoming worry. I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, I'm a worrier. I'm preaching to myself today, and you can just listen along. Something that I studied out to say, what does God's word have to say about worry? And as we read read our passage in verse 25, it says, therefore, and we know what therefore means, and we look back at what it says in uh, the previous verses here in Matthew chapter 6. And in this passage, we're reading from the Sermon on the Mount and this message that Jesus is preaching. (coughs) And... um, in the last uh, verses 19 to 24, we see here um, Jesus, and he's speaking about uh, true investing, and they're talking about eternity, and investing in eternity, and investing not on things of earth. And he talks about how things of this earth can be corrupted, and things of this earth can be taken away from us. And he's talking about investing in eternity. <coughs> and in the Gospel of Matthew, <coughs> um, Jesus Christ is portrayed as our king. We see Jesus Christ, our king. And in this, uh, in these verses, we, we see how we need to be investing in his kingdom. And we'll see that as we read on and as we study through this passage, how we need to invest in his kingdom. But Jesus Christ, our king, and he's our king now. And he can be king of our life. And he can be in control 
but there's something that we all struggle with so often, and it's worry. And we can enjoy his benefits, but so often we're so consumed and busy worrying about the things that he tells us that we shouldn't be worrying about. We should be serving our king. But how often are we too busy worrying about things in our life rather than serving him? And we're busy losing sleep over things that God says not to worry about and things that he says I'll take care of. And I'm not talking about losing sleep over natural things. And as I get get older, I notice lots of things changing. You know, you talk about toddlers and seeing them grow up, but no one talks about going into middle age. And uh, there's a lot of things I'm starting to learn that I can't do anymore. And my body won't let me do anymore. It's funny, um, when I used to work my evening shift, I'd get home late at night and I like to drink coffee. And a lot of nights, I'd come home with two coffees and we drink, we drink coffee at 11.30 and we'd go right to bed. And I can still do that. I'll drink coffee. But lately, Amanda, we had, her, we had a cup of coffee. And the next day, she's like, I was up until 4 in the morning. <laughs> Can't do it anymore. Our body's changing. And we couldn't, couldn't sleep. And you know what happens to us? And there's heartburn and there's body aches. And I'm starting to learn all these different things about middle age. And uh, I, I remember the first, the first thing that made me start thinking about how I was changing. I used to work with my brother-in-law on the side, and he's a roofer. Actually, brother Caleb used to work with him uh, too a bit. And there was one job that we're working on, and we're doing siding at this church in Oshawa. And we're on the scaffolding. And the, I remember the one day it was time for lunch. And the scaffolding wasn't too high, and I remember getting there, and I was about to jump off like I would always do throughout my youth, and I remember my body was just like, you cannot do this anymore. You have to sit down, and I have to ease myself down. And I was like, that was the first thing in my head that was like, oh no, it's happening. And I'm starting to psych myself out now, and I'm starting to read things, and I'm like, I've had perfect vision my whole life, and this year my optometrist says, yeah, your eyes are good, but... Probably in 10 years, we're going to need glasses. And ever since he said that, now I'm like, are my eyes blurry? And I'm second-guessing myself, and things are just changing. It was a few months ago before we moved here out here to Brampton, and I noticed something in the house. And I was looking all over, and I, I decided, okay, I'm going to go into the attic. And I opened the attic, and I didn't have a ladder, but I had a step stool. And I was able to pull myself up, so I, pu- I pushed the thing open, and I pulled myself up, went to the attic, it came time for me to get down. I could not get out of the attic. I called Amanda over. She has this flimsy chair. I'm trying to ease myself down, but I knew if I let go, I would just scrape my whole chest, and I had all the, the insulation. I'm trying not to touch it, and I couldn't get down. And Amanda finally had to come. She held the chair, and I just, I just went for it. I risked it. I jumped down. I landed on this chair. And I finally got out of there. But my body wasn't letting me do it anymore. But this is not what we're talking about when we say losing sleep or lack of sleep. You know, how often in our lives have we gone through something where we're so stressed out that we're losing sleep? We have no comfort or peace from God, which we should have. We have no faith. We've lost it because we're so stressed out about the things of this life that we lose sleep things that we can't control, things that we don't see the end of, but things that God says you should not be worrying about that. And you know what we think? We go through these things in our lives and we hear messages like this and we read the word of God and it says, well, you know what? I know when I'm going to stop worrying. I know the end of my worrying. It's when I fix this problem, 
when I finally get caught up on the bills, when I finally get that promotion, that's when I'm going to stop worrying. Or, you know, I'll stop worrying when God answers that prayer. But let me tell you something. Our contentment in life doesn't depend upon changing circumstances. So just because we didn't get the promotion or just because the money is tight or just because our kids aren't living for God or the house is falling apart or the car is broken down or you got bad news from the doctor or the relationships in your life aren't working out, God is still on the throne and God is still good. And we need to rest in that fact. And we can still live a life of joy and we can still live a life of peace despite the things that our mind as humans want to worry about. Also, in these previous uh, uh, verses that we're looking at, in uh, verses 19 to 24, it talks about, in verse 24, about serving one master. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he would hold to the one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve God and mammon. And here it's saying, you're going to serve God, or you're going to serve mammon or money, or the system of money that this world has. You know, you're going to serve God, or you're going to serve things. You're going to have faith, or you're going to worry if you're serving money, if you're serving things. And he contrasts it there. And it, and I was looking, as I was reading into this, I was started reading up on slaves, and uh, one of the things here, if we're going to be a servant, or we're going to, let money be our master. We're going to be slaves to that money. We're going to be slaves to the world's philosophy of trying to obtain always and to try to always further our finances and to pad our banks. We're going to be a slave to money. And I was reading on uh, Mauritania in West Africa, and it wasn't until the 80s that they had actually um, abolished slavery, but they didn't actually get rid of it. And it wasn't until a few years ago where they actually criminalized slavery. It's the last country in, in the world that still um, it's okay for slavery, and it's a, a taboo talk, topic where they don't talk about it. But in Mauritania, it's in right in the Sahara Desert, and it's a very desolate place. It's a very hopeless place, and there's so many people. You know what the statistics are? That 20% of the whole population is in slavery. That means one out of five people in that whole country is a slave to a master. And they're terrible conditions. And it's not like uh, uh, some countries where you have uh, helpmates at your house or people that live in. These are actual slaves where they work for no money and they're beaten, they're raped, they're abused by their owners. And that's what they're living in. That's the conditions that they're living in. And I read a story of this uh, seven-year-old boy. And it was his uh, coming-of-age party at seven years old. And he had a, th- a row of things before him, and he had a choice. You know, he can have candy, he could have money, he could have whatever he wanted. And there was another boy sitting there, a dark-skinned boy who was a slave. And that was one of his choices. That's how common it was there. And he looked at all these different things, and he had heard that this uh, dark-skinned boy had um, had he would mess things up, and he'd get in trouble. And he almost looked at him as a funny character, like, "Well, I want I want him." And he actually chose his first slave when he was seven years old. And he grew up, and that was the mentality where they were so just used to slavery around them, they just thought it was normal. And he would tell stories of how they were treated poorly. And in the in the uh, Mauritania, it was very nomadic people where they, they travel around in tents and they try to find water. 
And they would say there would be times in the, in the winter months where it actually get cold in the deserts or where it actually would rain in the, se- in the certain seasons. And those slaves would be made to stand outside all night holding the tent for their masters. And they said that they would hear the chattering of their teeth. And it was so common to these little boys and to these families that they would mock and they would laugh at the music that their teeth and chattering would make. And they were enslaved and it was a terrible situation. It was a hopeless thing. But the, the thing is that that seven-year-old boy finally grew up and he realized when he looked at the world around him that this wasn't normal. And he became involved in freeing these slaves and going to try to help them. But the thing is many of those slaves didn't actually want to be freed. They didn't know any way outside of it. They thought it was normal. They didn't know how to survive about, about it uh, without it. Or they didn't understand that they were enslaved. Or some of them would think that they were being helped by someone and they'd find themselves become re-enslaved by a different owner. And it became such a normal part of life to be slaves. And if we're not careful as Christians, we can become slaves to many things in this life. We can become slaves to sin. We can become slaves to money. Or as we're speaking about today, we can become slaves to worry. Completely consumed by worry. Become trapped being like those people in that desolate nation, in those desert places, in a place of loneliness without hope. Or, like it says in verse 24, that we could be servants to God. And it's funny how our philosophies contrast with the world's philosophies. Because the world's philosophy says, no, you need to get money. You need to strive for that. You need to always be trying to get more. And they look at Christianity and that's not our that's not our philosophy. And the world looks at us and says, you want to be a servant to God? And they say, that's bondage. And the world thinks that we're in bondage. I remember uh, when I was working in a high school before hearing um, some of the students talking. And I, I um, used to work in a Catholic school. And I remember the one kid saying, well, you know, I don't want to be tied down with religion when I'm when I get out of school, when I move out. And thinking about it, rightly so, he was in a Catholic uh, home and the, the works of Catholicism, and he looked at uh, that as bondage, but people look at us when we say, well, we want to serve God. That's bondage. But that's not what the Bible says. The Word of God tells us that we have freedom in Christ. In Ephesians 2, we see that we're quickened, made alive, and, and you have he quickens who were dead in trespasses and sin. We're made free with the truth of the Word of God. In John 8, uh, 32, the Bible says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Romans 6.18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God. Romans 8.2, Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You know, we're no longer under the law, we're under grace, where we get to choose to serve God. Galatians 5.1 says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And many Christians today are under the yoke of bondage, of worry, of stress, of anxiety, and it's stopping us from serving our King and our God. The world tries to tell us all different types of things to remedy it. You know, we don't need Dr. Phil. We don't need Oprah. We don't need more motivational speakers. We don't need the new self-help book that's out. We don't need philosophy. We don't need psychology. We don't need a new outlook on life. We need Jesus Christ. 
Because when the bills come in and the doctor gives you bad news and the car breaks down and the furnace stops working, when the lease runs out and the child you have isn't living right and the relationships that you have aren't working and the companies start laying off, circumstances in this life are going to change, but God is still on the throne and God's word is still true and God is still good. And we need to look at this stuff and realize in contrast to what the world says, that we don't need to worry because God is still on the throne and God is our king and we can trust in him and his word. Uh, so first uh, thing this morning, I want to, um, to us to consider a few things. In our passage in verse 26, it says, Behold, in verse 27, it says, Consider. So let's consider a few things that we read about in our passage. And first, I want you to notice his creation. His creation. And we read in this passage about how God takes care of his creation. In verse 26, he says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? And he talks about the birds. You know, do we need to feed the birds? You know, we see some crazy people feeding birds. You know, I was, I was, I came to church uh, a few weeks ago and I stopped over at the Tim Hortons here at that plaza and it was 6.30 in the morning and there was a person out in the parking lot feeding the seagulls. Like they had a bag, I don't know if it was cereal, bread, and they are feeding the birds. You know, those birds don't need us to feed them to survive. And the word of God tells us that the birds, the fowl of the air, they sow not Neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. They're taken care of. He talks about flowers. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. You know, when you're driving along the side of the road and you see those wild flowers, you know, was someone out there planting them? Was someone out there watering them and pulling the weeds and tending to them? No, they're a blessing from God. They're part of God's creation. And they grow on their own, own without toiling themselves. He talks about the fields and how, you know, how they're clothed, how God clothes the grass of the fields. And one day they're here and the next day they're burnt up like into an oven. But then next year you'll see the grass again. Who's taking care of that grass? God says he takes care of his creation. And he's saying here in this passage, when Jesus Christ is preaching, he's saying, my creation is in order. And when you think about that, no matter how much is going on in our life, how much we worry, God's creation doesn't stand still when we worry. When we go to sleep tonight, the sun's going to go down. When we wake up tomorrow, the sun's going to rise. The seasons change. Time changes. Things change in this world according to God's plan, and that doesn't stop because we worry. In Psalm 148, I want to uh, focus in on God's creation and how amazing it is and how that um, he takes care of it and how much more he'll take care of us. Psalm uh, 148, if you'd like to turn there, I'm going to read um, 10 verses. Uh, Psalm 148, starting at verse number 1. Psalm 148, starting at verse number 1. says, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. 
Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. And here he's talking about all the different things he had created and set into motion and how things will not pass because he created them and all things um, are due to praise God. God created everything and his creation is in order. You ever think about the earth and its position in the solar system? I started uh, doing research just to see like, because the evolutionists say, you know, it all happened by chance and things have evolved. But when you start to look at exactly how perfect everything is, there's no doubt that this world that we live in was created. And Earth is in the absolute perfect position in the universe. It's in the perfect position from the perfect size sun. If the sun was any bigger or smaller, it would change everything. The water needs to be liquid on Earth, so it can't be too cold or it's frozen, or it can't be too hot or it evaporates. We have the right amount of light for plants to grow, the right amount of radiation that's safe for us to live, the perfect position to be protected by our atmosphere and to contain oxygen, the perfect sized moon and its gravity drives the ocean tides and keeps the earth perfectly tilted access, which provides perfect gentle seasons and perfect timing. And Psalm 104.19 says, He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. We have the perfect amount of hours, the perfect day, the perfect night, all because the earth is in the perfect position. The perfect amount of land and the perfect amount of water. You know, one of the things that scientists say that sets us apart from any other planet is the amount of water that there is. And there's 70% of the earth is water. And in Psalm 104, uh, verse 10, it says, And he sendeth the springs into the valley, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle. God provided the perfect amount of water for us to live. You know, there's the perfect amount of rotation to keep the earth heated and cooled properly. The perfect spot in the galaxy as to not be constantly hit uh, with debris. And if you look at the probability of all these components and the likelihood of the planet having all these features is one thousandth of a trillionth chance that this happened by accident. God is in control. He's the one who's telling us not to worry. He's the one that says, you shouldn't be worrying about those things because I will take care of them. And it gets better. Psalm 147 and verse 4 says, He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Here it says that God has numbered the stars and that he's named them. He calleth them by their names. And you know if you look up into the heavens, the amount of stars that you can see at night. But the amazing thing is when you look up at the stars at night, it may seem like a lot to the, to the naked eye, but uh, scientists say when you look in the sky on a clear night, 
and uh, you may be in a, in a country area, the most stars you might see in, with our eyes is about 2,500 stars. But we know there's more stars than that in heaven. In 1995, scientists picked out a little section of the night sky that was unusually devoid of stars. They looked up, and to the naked eye, it looked like there was no stars there. But they wanted to see what lay in the empty and to the black. The scientists used the Hubble telescope to take a 10-day-long exposure of the empty region to find out what was out there in the deep blackness. In this image that they took, um, in the faintest little dots you would see in this picture, every dot was a galaxy. And there are over 10,000 galaxies in this one image that they took. And each one of those galaxies would have 100 billion stars in it. And scientists used that info from this photo to estimate that the, um, the observable universe contains over 100 billion galaxies, which puts the total stars in the observable universe around 100 sextillion stars. And I looked that up. That's like 23 zeros behind the one or something like that. And that's to the observable eyes. This is what the finite mind can try to comprehend, is what scientists can gather. There's that many stars in the, in the seeable universe. And to put that in perspective, the University of Hawaii sat down and they actually calculated an estimate for the number of grains of sand in the world. And they estimated that there are 7.5 quintillion grains of sand. And that means for every grain of sand on Earth, there are about 10,000 stars in the universe. To try to put that in perspective. And the Bible says that God named them all and God's numbered them all. Our God is big, and our God is in control. But it gets better than that. And I like when you read the word of God and you get excited. Psalm 139, uh, verse 1 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest me my path and my lying down, and art equated with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. And I love what it says here. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. And when you think about the how vast the universe is and how many stars there are, and God's numbered them all, and he's named them all, yet still each and every one of us are wonderfully made, and his thoughts to us are so numberable, you can, uh, it's more than the number of the sand. My God, that big and mighty God, cares about me. The God of this creation who's in control of it looks down at us and thinks of us. And that amazes me to think that in this world, in such an impersonal world, and especially in times of worry, of times of stress, when you're consumed with it, and even though you may be surrounded by all sorts of people and surrounded by your family, you can feel like you're in such a place of loneliness. You can feel like you're in such a place of no hope. But yet still, God of heaven, who's number of the stars, looks down and he thinks about us. 
And he looked down and he provided a, a way of salvation for us. And he looks down and says, you don't need to worry about these little things of life because I take care of creation. I take care of the stars. I take care of the birds. How much more am I going to take care of my children? Psalm 37, uh, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I, have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. You know, as God's children were taken care of, you know, in the few years that I lived on this earth and the, the few years that I've been out of my parents' home and, and living a life and raising my family and taking care of them, I'm amazed with how much God takes care of us. And in the times where you don't know how it's going to work, God always comes through. He always provides. And his seed is never found begging, never found lacking, because he takes care of us. And each, every one of us here today, we're somebody we have a purpose, and we're not here by accident of evolution. We're not here on this world by chance, and this world is not here by chance, but we are recreated by a loving God who cares for us. In, Jer- in Jeremiah, he says, Before I formed thee in the, in the belly, I knew thee. We are all created with purpose and with chance, and God will take care of us just like he takes care of his creation. So we notice his creation but uh, lastly this morning time's already gone away from me his salvation his salvation i won't be able to make it to my next points but we're going to look at his salvation this morning psalm 56 13 and david here is writing about uh his enemies and he says for thou hast delivered my soul from death will not thou deliver my feet from falling and as david here is talking to god and he's and he's He's saying, you know, God, you've saved me from my enemies. You've delivered me from death. Will you not deliver my feet from falling, from tripping up in life? And you take that into perspective and you look at your life and how much greater our salvation is in God and how he's provided a way for us to have eternal life. And yet still we focus on the things of this life and we worry about it, even though we put our trust in God for our salvation. Paul in 2 Timothy, he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You know, we've committed so much to God and put our salvation in his hand and we trust in him, but yet still we worry about the things of this life. Can God not handle our lives? Can God not handle the situations that we go through? Can God not provide the things that we need in our life? John 10, 25 says, Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And here again it speaks about bear witness. And we look at God look at God's creation all around us. And we look at God's work in our life so far already. And we trust in Him for so much. And we see His works around us. And yet still 
We have a hard time trusting us with the things of this world. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. You know, God takes care of his own. He takes care of his flock and he shepherds us. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know, we are so secure in our salvation with Christ, yet we become so insecure with the worries of this life. So as we think about this world, we think about God when he says we need, to, we need to realize that we need to invest in eternity. We need to invest in his kingdom. When we look at God, our king, we need to allow God to rule our lives again. We need to be freed from the bondage of stress. We need to be freed from the bondage of worry that we might have in our life. We need to be not consumed with trying to attain things. We need to not be consumed about worrying about tomorrow and being robbed of tomorrow's troubles today and being worried about them and stressing this out today when we could be looking at the hope of God and his word and what he has provided for us. We need to be content. In verse 27, it talks about which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature. And one cubit is about 18 inches. They say it's from the base of the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. So that would be one cubit. He's saying, how many of you can just think about it and add one cubit to their stature? You know, I would like to add one cubit to my stature. I was always the small kid growing up. I was never, you know, you hear about some people, like my wife, apparently when she was little, she was the, she was the tallest kid in her class. But now she even asked me to reach stuff from the shelf. But I, God, God has made us the way we are. And he's saying, how many of you can think about it and just add? Why would you stress about something that you can't change? We need to be content with what God has done for us. You know, we are the way that God has made us. And we are wonderfully made as we read already. Paul said in Philippians 4:11, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know, much of our worrying is because we are not happy with what God's given us. We're not happy with the clothes that we have. Not happy with the food that we have. We're not happy with the family that God's given us. We're not happy with the car that we have to drive. We're not happy with the job that we need to work. And so much of our worry all surrounds us trying to attain and to be enslaved by this world's philosophy trying to get more. But we can't forget God's blessings in our life. You know, I think of the nation of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness and we see God miraculously provides manna for them from heaven to feed his people. And daily this man would fall down from heaven and they would have enough to eat. But something happened. They got used to God's blessing. They got used to God providing for them. And we see that they actually complained about his blessings. You know what they said? They said, they spoke about how they freely ate in Egypt. Freely ate in their bondage. They said, you know, we freely, when we were in Egypt, you remember how much we used to eat? All the good food that we had in Egypt when we were slaves. And how quickly we forget the bondage of slavery that we were saved from. The bondage of sin that we were in. And how quickly we can forget the bondage of worry that we were entrapped in. You know, you're wrong if you think that you're too good for what God has provided with you with in your life. In all aspects of your life. When we try to attain more than what God's given to us. And we worry about those things. And we try to get more. And if we're not careful, we will ignore the blessings of God and we will complain of what God has given us and we'll start looking back at what the world has like they've done something for us, just like the nation of Israel did as they looked back to Egypt. 
And we have daily miracles and blessings that we take for granted in our life and we get used to God's divine providence in our life. You know, we lose our sense of wonder of what God has given us in our life. You know, something as simple as the amount of work that it takes for us to get our food. In 1989, Russian president, a Russian president visited a grocery store in the States in amazement. He walked to the store just shaking his head. He couldn't believe the amount of food that was freely there for you to buy in the store. Fresh produce, all that was there. And you could just walk in, grab what you wanted, and go to the cashier. In his country, people would have to line up to try to get some food. And he says if his people knew that the conditions of the grocery stores in America, there would be a revolution in his country. That's the president of that nation looking in there. As I was reading up on the slaves in Mauritania and the absolute desolation there and the, the depravity in their lives, and there were stories about some of these kids that have no food, that to, to stop the hunger pains that these people doing the documentary, they actually saw kids picking up scoops of sand and eating the sand so that they can try to fight the hunger pains that we have. And then there's us, and we're so blessed, and yet so we forget that God has given us a great country to live in. We forget that he's given us so much. And we forget that we have so many great things, and we start to complain about his daily blessings, the daily miracles that we have in our life. And we forget to be content with what God has given us. We forget to be content with God has, where God has you in your life. And we forget to be content with what God is putting us through. You know, our life is what it is now because God knows best. You know, as you sit down here in your place and you think about your life and you have burdens on your heart that only you know about, you're in this position today because God knows best. And God is there for us and we need to be reminded of that. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? You know, part of overcoming worry is being content. Now, I'm not going to stress over the things that God has ordained in my life. I'm not going to worry over the things I don't have, but rather glory in what God has blessed me with. Psalm 68, verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. We need to be content. As I close, I won't be able to finish my last point. I'll finish that tonight um, in the evening service about seeking God. And there's so much the Word of God says about seeking God. But how many of us here have had those nights where you lay, lay awake in your bed, stressed about whatever it is that the world has you bogged down about? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's a number of things. Maybe it's a family situation. But the Bible tells us that we aren't supposed to depend on the circumstances to have a good life. We're not dependent upon how great things are in our life to look at God and to remember that he's good and he's on the throne and to trust him. You know, we all have testimonies of God's goodness in our life. Things coming through on time. Things happening in the right time. You know, how many of you have ever praised God that your car broke down at the right time? I've done it before where I was like, thank you God that it broke down at this right time because if this happened two weeks ago, I don't know where I would have been. 
You know, things just happen at the right time. Things are coming at the right time. You know, I remember uh, when we were first married and just trying to serve God and trying to do things. And I don't know what God put it on people's heart. And I remember a few times where we were, I was helping Brother Alcock in, in at BOAC and we're, we, tr- we travel on the weekends and, and drive here to Brampton. And um, I remember trying to get bills lined up. And it was a Saturday night and it happened on several occasions where knock on the door and Amanda's dad came to the door. Hey, I got this small bonus from, um, from work and I thought that you guys might find it, might, might have better need of it. And it's stuff like that that it just amazes me or just jobs coming through at the right time and just you're praying and you're begging God and he just always comes through and his seed is never begging bread. And we all have those testimonies in our life where we have seen God provide. And if not, we've seen the goodness of God with our salvation, our daily benefits. Where we live, we have a home, we're all eating. But we can't let worry get in the way of us serving God. Maybe today you're not even a part of the kingdom. You're not saved. You're not a child of God. Let me tell you today that despite what the world tells you, you're not an accident. You have a purpose. You have a plan. We're not here on this ball that appeared, but God created each and every one of us with a purpose. And we need to focus on today, and as we read in our past, it says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. We need to focus on today, and if you've never accepted Christ today, would you get saved today? Would you take care of that today? The Bible tells us that we can't boast ourselves of tomorrow. Take care of that today. And as we're going to look at tonight, we need to seek God. But I ask you Christians today, are you seeking God in your life? In times of worry in our life, are we seeking Him? Are we praying to Him? Are we hungering for His Word? Are we calling on Him? Are we just enslaved by this Word? Are we in bondage like those people in Mauritania where they didn't even realize that they were enslaved and that there was a way out? But God tells us that there is and that we can have peace through Him, that we can have hope in Him, and that He will provide if we just trust in Him and seek Him. Let's pray this morning.